Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Jolly. Yes, the podcast continues, albeit with me trying to pull the string tight between the yoghurt cartons to make sure that we can speak to all of the guests that you would usually find on the Red Box Podcast, trying to make sense of an increasingly senseless world. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's been in touch uh, in the last week or so about the podcast. You've all said very nice things, which I'm. it would be embarrassing to read them all out, but a, a thank you to everyone who's posted comments on iTunes tunes we've been reading them all uh, it's been lovely i'm glad that you're enjoying the podcast and we're bringing you a reason to be cheerful in amongst all of the doom and gloom hello to jenny mcculloch tom barnaby and james smith who've all been in touch with ideas for the podcast but a special hello to half woman half mince pie on twitter who not only said that the reasons to be cheerful podcast uh, cheered her up while cleaning the bathroom and realizing that we were all going through the same thing but she also recruited a new subscriber Jan Bird, who's now signed up and subscribed. So welcome along. Thank you for joining us. And why not do the same thing? If you think you know someone who would enjoy listening to the Red Box podcast to help while away the hours of self-isolation at home, recommend it to them. Get them signed up. We've got lots of hopefully interesting plans uh, for the next few weeks with extra episodes dropping as and when we can manage them. So don't miss them. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. Down to this week's episode then. Later, I'll speak to Rachel Sylvester about the political impact as far as we can make it out of what is happening right now. Now, I know that politics seems like a bit of a sideshow given the, um, everything that's going on, but everything we thought we knew about politics seems to have been thrown up in the air. And uh, Rachel Sylvester will try and catch a few of those fragments and try to work out uh, what it all means. But first, in this extraordinary week where Boris Johnson ordered a shutdown of Britain, we ask, how do you communicate in a crisis? There's been lots of criticism of the Prime Minister's handling of the PR comms, if you like, the mixed messages that have sometimes come out as he's tried to ask the public what to do rather than tell them. So who better to give us some advice on uh, how you communicate in a crisis like this than Alistair Campbell, former Director of Communications for Tony Blair in Downing Street. He was there throughout crises like foot and mouth, fuel protests, Kosovo, 9-11 and the wars in Iraq. And he'll give us some idea of what the public is really looking for in our darkest hour. Plus James Johnson, who was Theresa May's pollster in Downing Street throughout the turbulent second half of her premiership. He's been looking at the way the public has been receiving the information from the government and those who are least likely to react to them. Alistair, first of all, and I know you know not naturally a fan of Boris Johnson. How do you think he has done so far in communicating with the public? Um, I think very patchy, if I'm being frank. I, th- I think at the start, too slow, too flip, not taking it seriously enough. I think his briefings were the right thing to do, but I don't think he's done them terribly well. I think that the big thing in a crisis, you have to take the public into your confidence about the decisions that you're taking. I don't think he's really done that. He's been all a bit kind of, you know, felt a bit like make it up as you go along. 
I thought his statement last night was better. I think finally giving a sense of the proper seriousness of what's going on. I think having a script made it a lot better. I wrote a piece the other day about Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York. I really, really do recommend that anybody who's involved in communications of this crisis watch his briefings. They are an absolute masterclass. Uh, lots of detail, lots of fact. Boris Johnson doesn't seem to me to, you know, if you're not giving the detail, it makes people feel you're not on top of it. And so I just like to see much more fact-based, more detail, less bluster, less, less homily. So there, let's just hope that last night was a, a bit of a turning point. How much of it do you think comes down to, and to say that a politician uh, likes to be liked is a sort of statement in the bleeding obvious, but Boris Johnson in particular, his natural thing is he wants to go somewhere and wave around a fish or hang off a zip wire or whatever it might be. This is not really his thing. Actually, Theresa May was quite good at delivering bad news from a lector and sticking to a script and delivering a line. Look, certainly, I think that, you know, how he made his name, both as a journalist and as a politician, has been, to put it fairly politely, by, you know, being a bit of a bit of a chancer. That is definitely not what what is not needed. And funny enough, last night, uh, I was sitting watching his statement with um, with my partner, Fiona, and, and she actually made the point you just made. She said, God, Theresa May would do this so much better. So, yeah, he's got to get into a different mode. I think he's found it difficult to go from campaign mode to government mode. And I think he's finding it difficult to go from government mode to crisis government, crisis management mode. It's a very different thing. And you've just, you've got to stop worrying about, he's got to stop worrying about being liked. He's got to stop worrying about feeling he has to make people laugh and smile and all that. He's just got to be incredibly serious, incredibly focused. The only thing people want to see from the government at the moment is competence nothing else. Do they get the scale of the crisis? Do they know what needs to be done? Are they doing it? Are they explaining it to me in a way that I can understand it and that will make me change my behaviour? That's the only thing they need to think of. So there we are, James. Everyone wants to bring back your old boss. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> they want to bring back my old boss. You do have an act of being very scary sounding when doing these these sort of things, which is obviously a sort of uh, sense of what we need now. But I think I think I agree with Alistair you know, that Boris Johnson clearly you know needs to strike that serious note. And I think he did do that in the TV address uh, last night. And it's you know worth just you know taking a step back for a moment and you know looking at the polling on this so far. You know Boris Johnson, you know big sort of. Boot Boost in his ratings, big boost to Rishi Sunak's ratings as well. Um, that is obviously soft, but you know, at the moment, you know, the public think um, that government, the government, and the prime minister have have a relatively good grip on it. But I, I agree with Alistair that you know it, it, the message does have to be more clear. And you know, you saw the downsides of that with the situation with Michael Gove this morning. You know, when he was doing his sort of media round, you know, not being completely on top of the detail in regards to. I think the specific example was whether um, a child could visit. It, it, uh, his or her separated parents, and it was just this slight example of uh, of not being completely on on top of the detail. I don't think that's particularly Michael Goh's uh, fault. I think that's a fault of the whole way this is being done. And I think you know to go back to Alice's point there about sort of the, the the lens that they have on for this whole crisis. It is sort of like a big national crisis is being played with the same political comms rules. So, for example, a government minister goes on the TV in the morning, goes on the radio in the morning. And the result of that is actually that, you know, the journalists try and pick holes in them. The government minister slips up. 
and the whole thing falls apart. Actually, I think we need to start adapting to something incredibly different, which is, you know, the complete sort of crisis comms approach to this. You know, get two or three, you know, selected individuals who are completely up to date and mm. across the rules, get those up on, on media and, you know, really sort of a much more sort of um, a government comm strategy that reflects the level of government intervention that's happening that is unprecedented and very direct. Is it fair, do you think, that uh, part of the um, problem is that people say, well, you know, why aren't you doing something? So they announce, well, we are, you know, we are now going to shut the pubs and the clubs and the restaurants, or whatever. And then there are obviously questions about well, what does that mean for takeaways? And well, it's fair enough, isn't it, in this situation, Alistair, to just say, well, we don't know yet. You know, this is, and you're, you know, the point that James is making. You know, what does this mean for people who are sharing custody? A bit of common sense and a bit of, you know, just everyone try to stick to this as closely as you can. That's the big message, isn't it? And every time somebody says, oh, you've not thought that through, it's just sort of nitpicking at a time when we are in a national crisis. Yeah, I'm not suggesting they sit down and sort of listen to all the nitpickers and follow Twitter and say, why didn't we think of that? I I, I wrote a blog the other day. I, I made 20 points about things I thought they could do to improve the briefings. And one of the points I made is there's nothing wrong in a politician, including a prime minister, saying, I don't know the answer to that yet. There's nothing wrong in saying that. What you mustn't do, however, is go into any briefing on any policy announcement without having thought through every single question that's going to come at you. And that's not, that's not just their job. That's the job of the team that, they, that they're working with as well. I'm afraid that question that Michael Gove found a bit difficult this morning, that was a fairly obvious question. I'm not going to nitpick on this because I, I, I get just how difficult it is. But I totally agree with the point that James, one of the points I made in the blog I wrote was that they have to broaden the team on this. And, you know, back in the day where we had some pretty heavy, difficult crises, as you say, nothing on a kind of global scale like this, but, you know, whether it was foot and mouth or fuel protests or 9-11 or Kosovo, some of the really difficult kind of crises that we were involved in, we were blessed with a number of ministers. If I think of people like John Reed, Jack Cunningham, Margaret Beckett, uh, Alan Milburn. We had a whole raft of ministers. You kept them involved in the discussion that was going on, but there weren't all the meetings necessarily, but they were just, they were like one layer out and that you kept them fully briefed about everything. And they just had that capacity then to go out and field the media. Because I think if you're Matt Hancock at the moment, you've got a massive job. You're running the health service. Now you've got to be part of the media team but you mustn't be front and center all the time because otherwise you won't be able to do your job properly i was going to say that's been really striking isn't it that he's been doing the media he's been in the house of commons you know while also supposedly fronting up the actual the response being yeah. in all the meetings and, and that's a huge so I task you, i said in the piece i wrote a little bit like before the election it was obvious that they had decided whoever they are but the team around johnson had decided rishi sunak is somebody that we can trust to go out on the media the whole time and talk about anything they need to find four or five of the of the less busy ministers because soon that's going to be incredibly busy now as well find four or five of the less busy ministers and develop them into being the team that they put up to deal with the media because the other thing about this is 24 7 across the media but actually that is a fairly small part the media stuff is a fairly small part of what the government should be doing in relation to this crisis it's actually about the stuff at the moment is about masks it's about ventilators it's about intensive care beds it's about getting supply lines sorted it's about the really detailed policy stuff and they should be doing that explaining that and it doesn't shouldn't always require the obvious ministers to be explaining that to the public 
James, one of the really striking things in the polling that we've seen so far is that Boris Johnson's personal ratings has actually gone up quite sharply. And Rishi Sunak, we are just discussing there, he's, his personal ratings, he's gone from basically nobody knowing who he is to everyone thinking he's marvellous. Who else in, in the polling that you're doing, who else is it that you think could fit the bill to do the job that Alistair's talking about? Yeah, well, I think certainly, uh, certainly, like you say, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak are up. Uh, Matt Hancock has seen a bit of a bump as well. I think, you know, people have found that he's, he's persuasive. I mean, look, there are people, you know, um, across the cabinet who who you know c- communicate you know well with the public you know some perhaps not so much um you know people Go on. Go certainly, on. Who, well, who, who goes down less well that's what well, we really want to know well certainly you know people people just want that sort of bit of force and direction so actually you know um for all of the sort of media foray before this crisis kicked off you know actually pretty patel you know does come across quite well with the public on on broadcast um as do people uh like um like brandon lewis and and others but but i think the bigger issue here is that it also needs to be experts and you know having those sort of that really that really clear clear address the other thing i'd say about the polling matt is that um is that you know so i saw that rishi sunak was on 60 percent approval in the latest yougov poll and sort of um I, I i thought to myself i thought that um that was the highest that was the most popular politician uh since blair in 1997 i went back and looked this morning actually the the, the next the next highest was nick clegg in the april 2010 Ooh. tv <laughs> debate two days <laughs> <laughs> who, yeah, who was up on seventy percent? So we should not assume that this popularity is going to last for. Uh, no, and also, can I make a, a point? Here? I, I also don't think that the politicians should even worry about it. I can, oh know, no, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. During, during this, during the crises that I talked about, I mean, I can I, people can believe this or not, but I promise you, it's true. I did not even look at polling. And, and so, for example, when when you were saying, "Go on, tell us who's not popular," I mean, the polling I've seen, I know that Michael Gove doesn't go down terribly well. However. I think he's actually, for all that he may have sort of slightly, you know, misstepped this morning. I think actually he's somebody that I would say can be very effective as a sort of cross-government communicator, lifting the load for some of the others. One of the things that we always used to think about. I mean, I'll be absolutely frank. This is probably my fault, not nobody else's. I couldn't even tell you who the Welsh and Scottish secretaries are, but they become very I, certainly when we were in power the scottish the welsh the northern ireland secretaries they become very because they're they've got their job to do but they're not necessarily right at the heart of the crisis so they but they're affected by every single part of it so i you know develop them into becoming and it doesn't matter whether they're popular it doesn't matter whether they're known it's just a question of being out there with a consistent coherent sense of what the government strategy is what's it really like right now in downing street i mean obviously it's sort of turned up to 11 compared to anything that you experienced but but when i don't know whether it was foot and mouth or fuel protests or whatever what what what's the atmosphere like in what is essentially just a sort of slightly small stately home Alistair, what's going? What's going on in there? A lot of, a lot of people sleeping on beds and eating Kit Kats and well, trying I, to just get I, through the day. Well, I hope not, because for two reasons: one, this is going to go on for some time, and you, you know, it's a mood of of uh, anxiety. Definitely, there comes a point in a crisis. I can remember. I mean, I, I wrote a book about this. I wrote a book about winners, and there's a big section on crisis management. There comes a point in any crisis where you actually start to feel sick. You start to think, this is my life forever. And it's really, really, really important to get through that as quickly as you can and start to bring as much normality to the process as you can. So I hope that what's going on is that there is a, an agreed meeting structure 
and that the right people are in, are in those meetings and that not every, everybody is not in every meeting. I think that becomes a problem when people think that everybody has to go to every meeting and you find you don't have time to do anything in terms of implementing the decisions that are taken. So the meeting flow becomes very important. The internal information flow becomes very important. But no, I'd say it's probably feeling pretty anxious but hopefully getting you to a point you say right well okay we you know yes it's a crisis yes it's difficult yes people are feeling very stressed but we've sort of got we've worked out a modus operandi to get through this and i hope that's what the case is and what about you james what was your experience as a sort of the, the long grind of the of the of the, the brexit crisis i suppose it was the same the same thing Th- those those concerns and the stress of that just looks completely minuscule compared to compared to what is happening now. So it's so it's so difficult, right? Everything we say about this has to be prefaced with that that it is just a completely different uh, level. I mean, I remember on the uh, the day of that reshuffle in uh, January uh, 2018, the one that sort of went badly wrong and sort of ministers refused to refused to be moved, and it was a really sort of a bad day for Theresa May and for that Downing Street. I remember on that day, you know, constantly scrolling Twitter, constantly being anxious. I mean, that just looks utterly absurd now in the, in, 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 the, in the situation we're now in. So I think we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Can I just make a point on on the public, um, Matt, which is that, um, you know, after so, uh, sort of some of the snap research we've done since the sort of lockdown was announced last night and, and anecdotally as well, you know, there are two there are two massive, you know, obstacles and problems that, that, that the government is facing in trying to get that message out. The first is that some people just, we can't underestimate just how many people don't actually receive the full message. And there's a reason they're trying to send this text out, right, to every, every mobile phone, because there is quite a high level of otherwise people not hearing about it or hearing about it but not getting the full the full message. So, for example, someone I was talking to this morning, and this is anecdotal rather than proper research, but you know they thought last night Boris had threatened to close non-essential shops rather than actually done so. So that's the first thing, you know, that, that just that level of sort of getting the message through. The second is, and I don't know, I don't think this is out of. Uh, ill uh, intent. I think it's a mix of sort of human nature and living in a free society for our entire lives. But people, sort of a lot of people's instinctive reaction is not to just say, okay, I'm going to follow the rules. It's, okay, what's a possible loophole? What's a way that I can, you know, get around this? How can I still go out? How can I turn, you know, this bit of non-essential business that I've had booked in for a month into something essential? So, you know, these are the two massive, exactly. And these are the two massive challenges that the government has to face. So, you know, I mean, unfortunately, my hunch on that is that it, it will, they will try and encourage and they will try and enforce as much as possible. But the inevitability i think is that is that they will have to step up this lockdown even further to tackle those two things and so just finally then just to end on a slightly more upbeat or useful uh note rather than talking about what a depressing um, time it is for everyone um alistair you've you've also written another blog on um top 20 tips for, for looking after our mental health we don't necessarily need to go through all 20 people can look them up but how would you advise people to to sustain themselves in what's going to be a pretty tough time i had a bit of an insomnia at night last night and um i got up in the middle of the night and i thought well i do know about depression and anxiety i'll I'll sort of write down based on my experience about because I think I think mental health is going to become a massive issue for obvious reasons. I think the you know loneliness is a problem already, and if you talk about people having to isolate themselves away for months, so I've just really talked about very basic things: 
trying to stay active, diet, sleep, exercise, incredibly important, uh, reading books, uh, listening to music. Uh, it's interesting, James, talking about scrolling through Twitter. That is not a good way to keep on top of yourself, your mental health. I mean, you know, just dip in and out of the media. Don't don't sort of obsess with it the whole time. And I do think that actually, I've I've I've, I've, I've before this crisis started, I I'd, I'd start, if anybody who follows me on social media knows I'm slightly obsessed about trees, and I'm posting these pictures of tree of the day. But I do think, you know, think nature uh, and. And it's just it's amazing at the moment going around the place. I mean, I'm, I'm walking the dog this morning, and I, I three I saw three different leaflets that people had dropped on the floor, which were children who were putting their leaflets through doors to help other people. So that whole thing about helping other people, I think, actually is an amazing sort of way to kind of keep ourselves engaged. So anyway, yeah, with my website alistaircampbell.org, I've I've done my sort of top twenty tips, but I do think that you know looking after each other now is going to become incredibly important. The government obviously takes the lead in all this, but I think that's the other thing to say in a crisis, and especially maybe one like this. There's an awful lot of responsibility on all of us now as well, and I think we have to kind of understand that and accept that. As well as listening to music, you suggested you were going to make music as well. You're threatening to start playing bagpipes regularly at home. Matt, this is, I think, Matt, interesting questions about the mental health of your neighbours. I'm not taking these anti-bagpipe jokes. <laughs> and I'll tell you as well... All of my neighbours, and well, the polite ones who nobody has ever said they don't like it. And what's more, I've had two people in the last twenty-four hours saying, "Could you play your bagpipes a bit more, please?" So you can stick your anti-bagpipe jokes up where the sun don't shine. Well, I'll listen. I'll try. And, I'll, I'll lean out of the window and see if I can hear them from where I live. Uh, James, just finally, any any tips you've got for getting through the next few weeks? Well, I don't have any bagpipes, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I think just yeah, just d- delete t- delete Twitter from your phone. I mean, go on it on the you know on on the browser or Safari. But I just think deleting Twitter from the phone is the best bet because I have found myself. I think they've called it doom scrolling now um, because I've definitely found myself guilty of that. So uh, and just trying to get attention on and focus on to other things. Um, the final thing I think is that a lot of people are. I think quite worried about what their parents and families are doing, you know, whether they're following the rules and that, that creates a lot of anxiety as well. So I think just taking that time to just detach from it and just do your own thing. Alistair Campbell and James Johnson there. Still to come, we speak to Rachel Sylvester about how the kaleidoscope of British politics has been shaken and we don't really know how it's going to land. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So inevitably, for a politics podcast, we turn to the politics of what all this means. I'm joined now by Rachel Sylvester. Rachel, I suppose first of all, I should ask you how are you how are you getting on with being in self isolation? Well, there's a lot of indoor cricket going on in the corridor upstairs at the moment, and supposed homeschooling, uh, which seems to involve quite a lot of breaks. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> while also trying to juggle working, writing columns, making phone calls and cooking lunch and everything uh but 
it's great to spend time with a family actually strangely <laughs> yeah yeah it hasn't been long enough yet and, just wait for that and we're lucky we've got a garden so i know so good and the weather the weather being nice to be able to go out in the garden stuff is great so anyway you mentioned to try to write your column so you've, you've i wanted to just talk to you about your your column uh in the times this week about what you see as being the potential longer term political impact of uh of the coronavirus outbreak yeah, and I, I suppose the first thing is at the moment, nobody really is thinking about politics and it's been very non-partisan, this whole thing. And it feels slightly wrong even to raise the political implications at one level. But obviously, this is going to have a huge political impact and both for the reputation of individual politicians. So, you know, Boris Johnson, uh, has he got what it takes to be a kind of statesman, move on from being the joker? And then you're seeing also people like Rishi Sunak, Matt Hancock, who are really kind of proving their credentials on the big stage in this crisis. Um, but then also the sort of wider party politics of the thing. That this is uh, Andrew Cooper, who was David Cameron's director of strategy and also worked for William Hague in the Tory party. He has this phrase of there are kind of 10,000 volt initiatives in politics that can change the dial, um, change the way people see parties. And this has the potential to be that, I think, for the Tory party if they get it right, or in the other direction, to seal everything that people hate about them if they get it wrong. It is striking. It feels like about a million years ago that we were talking about the Red Wall and could the Tories secure those uh, the, the support of people in the North? And now basically the entire country is at stake and the way that they react. I mean, this is ultimately what, what politics is really about, is the reacting to a big crisis like this. It's been quite striking, I think, that the... Certainly the polling, YouGov have done some uh, really interesting polling on sort of favourability. And so far, people seem to be swinging behind Boris Johnson, including Labour and Lib Dem voters. Rishi Sunak is up massively in terms of favourability. And something like in an overnight poll, 93% of people backing Boris Johnson's uh, planned lockdown. I mean, you, you never see support for any government policy on that scale. I think you always see backing for the national leader at a time of national crisis, or almost always. Um, so at the moment, nobody really is thinking um, in party terms. They're just thinking, we, we've all got to knuckle down. We're all in this together. We genuinely all are having to do our bit. It's a kind of wartime mentality. Uh, and so people want their leader to be doing well. People, people want to rally round behind the Prime Minister, whoever it is, I think. Um, and, and also, I do feel, I, I've, I've been incredibly sceptical about Boris Johnson in the past, and I still am about lots <laughs> That's of That's one his, way of putting um, it. <laughs> but actually, on this, I think he has put aside that kind of joker, clown mentality, and he is trying to do the right thing for once. <laughs> uh, and he is thinking about the greater good. Um, and he is listening to the experts, all that stuff about, you know, the British people have had enough of experts, the populism of the divisive, polarising rhetoric he used in some of his columns, that's all gone. And now he is trying to listen to what the scientists say. And obviously, the scientists and the experts disagree. And there are all kinds of different interpretations of that. But I don't buy the sort of, you know, conspiracy theory that it's all about 
you know, bumping off the old people and her mentality and then it'll all be fine. I think Boris Johnson, at least, is trying to work out what's the right thing to do. And he's got to it. You, some people would say he's got to it too slowly. Some people would say it's this is all too draconian. But I think he's at least trying to get that balance right. And there is an argument, I think, and it's a, it's a balance and we'll probably, we'll, we won't know for a long time whether or not they've struck the right balance but if you are going to ask the entire country basically to stay indoors for three weeks you need to do it at the maximum point where it'll have the maximum impact if you like there's no point doing it at a point where the 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 virus hasn't spread that far and then you have to do it all over again later on and yeah and also you've got you're asking a lot of people so you can't sustain it for too long uh so and things like you know cancelling exams that's a huge step for a government to take that affects thousands tens of thousands of people's lives potentially forever so you can't take those decisions lightly but you've got a moaning cat coming in to join the conversation oh. <laughs> that's why we came for that <laughs> perils of home working one of the other things that's really struck me is a sort of it's like recalibration of of who is important who isn't is you know you were just saying there are experts now everyone uh, is looking to the experts to try and um, help us out of this but also there's a really interesting if slightly overlooked uh, exchange in the house of commons uh, on Monday, where a Steve Double, a Tory MP, said that we need to think again about who is important and valued in the immigration system, because the immigration system unveiled only a few weeks ago by Priti Patel was quite clear about low-skilled workers aren't welcome uh, and all of that sort of stuff. And actually separating low-skilled from low-paid and actually even quite low-skilled jobs can sometimes be v- incredibly vital. You know, if you are mm. a shelf stacker in a supermarket right now, you are playing a crucial role. And uh, the care workers, the delivery drivers, you know, all of those people. And and obviously the NHS is totally dependent on immigrant labour, doctors and nurses, a lot of EU, EU workers. Uh, and I just wonder, I think you're... the the I wonder where the public attitudes will change on those things, both on what you say, the value of work, what kind of work matters, and also the value of uh, immigrants. And also, I think, the sort of what is seen as a good and bad business. I mean, we've seen uh, in the last 24 hours, uh, Mike Ashley from Sports Direct suggesting that he might keep his jogging bottoms shop open because thinking yeah. it's an essential, uh, essential supplies. Uh, Weatherspoons uh, being heavily criticised for refusing yeah. to pay their staff until they get their their grant from the government whereas lots of other businesses are paying their staff in the interim waiting for that money to come through did you see sharon white the head of john lewis was out in waitrose stacking the shelves leading by example uh so it's that kind of sense of uh, are you going to do a business is going to do the right thing and people i think do care about that but i also think for politics it's really fascinating that the tory party has tried for a decade really to align itself with the NHS and prove that it cares and values the NHS and now it really hasn't got a choice it's got to you know there's no more talk of efficiency savings now it's they're commandeering businesses to um, make ventilators and it's the army are on hand to deliver protective gear uh, and it's it's anything to save the NHS at this stage uh, and in terms of their you know it's too early in a way to think about brand but in terms of their brand i think they are potentially if they really follow this through they can prove that they 
they are committed to the NHS. I was going to say it's amazing that in the in the election campaign, only what, four months ago, three four months ago, uh, there was a big discussion about you know what were the Tories going to flog off the NHS to Donald Trump in exchange for a Brexit trade deal, privatising the NHS uh, as it is in America, and instead what we've seen is a Conservative Prime Minister commandeering private hospitals uh, to bring them into the NHS essentially um, in this sort of great national effort. Um, yeah, exactly. And I do think there's a difference between how they're handling the pandemic and how they approached and are approaching Brexit. So still, the official line is, we're going to have no extension of the transition period. We're leaving on 31st of December, whether or not there's a trade deal, you know, all guns blazing, no flexibility, get lost experts, we're not going to publish the economic impact assessment. There's such a contrast. And I don't see how that can last in the end. But, you know, once, I don't see how Brexit and the Brexit deadline can be the only thing that isn't affected by this virus. <laughs> you know, the Olympics delayed, m- music festivals being cancelled, schools closed, exams cancelled. Surely the Brexit deadline can't be the only thing affected, especially when I think Michel Barnier even has coronavirus and all the uh, negotiations with the EU have been put on hold, rightly. And it seems amazing that we could be expecting businesses to gear up for whatever the new systems are in place. For, for, I mean, custom, discussing customs implications seems like a very old-fashioned thing to do in the new um, in the new world. But um, the idea that the businesses which have basically been shut down can simultaneously be gearing up for. A, for a new um, a, a, a new world outside the EU seems extraordinary. Um, in fact, it's not just Michel Barnier who's um, uh, who's self isolating. David Frost, his UK counterpart, is also right. apparently yeah. uh, self isolating as well. So, um, yeah, it, it, it seems impossible to see how the, the talks can go on. But and- they're still in that sort of ideological mindset when it comes to Europe. In a way, they aren't when it comes to the virus. And if they want to sustain that sense that the Tory party is working in the national interests rather than in some narrow partisan interests. They've got to apply it across the board, I think. It was striking as well, I thought, in one of the uh, press conferences, um, Boris Johnson was asked about it and he said Brexit was not a word that was being used in Downing Street a great deal these days. And I thought, wow, I mean, that is a that is a huge about turn. Uh, looking further ahead as well, and again, you know, we are talking about politics because we're a politics podcast, um, not because we think politics is the preoccupation of the nation at the moment. But one of the points that you make in your, your column as well is that even if Boris Johnson gets through this, still with high public approval, still with the public thinking um, he'd done well, his great hero, Winston Churchill, has a, you know, there's a warning in history for him that the victory isn't always rewarded. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Churchill famously won the war and then lost the election in 1945. And the Tories for years suffered after Black Wednesday. They were seen as, you know, having let the country down. And Labour still really hasn't recovered its reputation from the 2008 economic crash. But the one thing I do think is interesting about this for uh, Boris Johnson and the Conservative Party more generally is, you, do you remember Theresa May for ages tried to turn the Tories into the party of the workers and it was all trying to rebrand? And then Boris Johnson has actually now said the uh, the government's going to pay 80% of people's wages to stop people being laid off. And if you're trying to put yourself on the side of employees as well as businesses. They've, they've now proved it with this huge dramatic gesture that that's the case. Uh, it's hard to say that they're kind of hard right-wing 
government when they're in some ways more revolutionary than Jeremy Corbyn even dared to be. And, it, and, and that be- will have a sort of long term impact on potentially on public perceptions. And also, what I suppose, in terms of what is feasible or realistic for the government to do. I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago we we thought that the idea of the government giving everyone free broadband was a sort of outlandishly silly uh, ambition. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and may- no, it's whatever it takes to save businesses. That's literally a blank check. So it's not just a sort of magic money tree. It's magic money forest with unicorns hanging from the trees. It's it's everything anyone could ever have you know demanded apart from the self-employed so far although all the indications are they are going to announce something on that very shortly yeah and i think the the, the clear indications are the reason nothing's been announced yet is because they are genuinely trying to work out the simplest fairest way to do it not because they either forgotten about um the self-employed or, or didn't mind uh, them being left out well it, uh, we i'm sure at some point we'll return to the, the politics of all but your column is um is as ever fascinating in the times today uh, rachel best of luck just finally what's your sort of top tip for self-isolation well i've bought the hillary mantel book the mirror and the light which i'm hoping is going to keep me through and then my son is turning into my personal trainer he's football mad so he's obviously going nuts that he can't go out in the park and kick a ball around with his friends let alone play in the matches that he always loves so he's going to give me personal training lessons every day which is going to be part of the pe for our homeschooling Uh, so i'm hoping i'm going to get fit Fantastic. Well, if, if no good comes out of this, then uh, at least uh, we'll, some of us might all be fitter uh, when we finally get to emerge into the sunlight. Rachel Sylvester there. My thanks to Rachel and Alistair Campbell and James Johnson. And special thoughts with Alistair Campbell's neighbours, if he really is going to get his bagpipes out. Do stay in touch with us. Email redbox at thetimes.co.uk if you've got any thoughts about what we could talk about in the coming weeks. Or tweet us at timesredbox if you've particularly enjoyed this episode. And please, please, please do subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen so you get any future episodes that come up. And while you're there, post a review. Join in with all those other people. Let us know where you're listening. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Go on to uh, Spotify or Apple and post reviews there. But for now, stay safe, stay at home, wash your hands. And now's probably a good time to put on the Red Box Coronavirus Self-Isolation Playlist on Spotify. It's 30 hours long. And by the time you get to the end of that, there might be another Red Box episode that's come along. For now, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.